0: women made 80% of the healthcare decisions at home. So not only do we make the healthcare industry, we make the beauty industry, the luxury industry, we power all those industries with our capital. So I'm I'm still trying to figure out, I'm gonna get to the bottom of it, how it's been such an overlooked area. How, um, I mean, I think in 2020, McKinsey came out with a paper where they said that only 1% of biomedical Investment goes into female specific conditions. Over 1% of the total budget. Women make half of the population. We are the decision makers at home for all these decisions. Something's not, I mean, the math is not that complicated there.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the DeSci Podcast. Today's guest is Laura Minkini, who is the founder of Athena Dow. Athena Dow is a decentralized community of researchers, funders, and advocates that are working to advance women's health, research, education, and funding. I was really excited to talk to her because there aren't that many people working on women's reproductive health. And Athena Dow is doing it in an amazing, decentralized way. So today we spoke about Athena DAO's mission, how Laura is increasing awareness about Athena DAO, the accelerator that she's part of, and what's next on the roadmap for creating more awareness around women's health and also funding science in a decentralized manner. Hope you enjoy the episode.
2: All right. Welcome, Laura, to the Desire podcast. How are you doing today? Very good. And you? I'm good. Thanks for your time. Yeah, very excited to do this podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. So, um, Laura, why don't we get started by uh, talking a bit about your background first. How did you even get into the world of DAOs and female reproductivity?
0: Um, so I started my career in Web3 or science. I started my career in something completely different, which uh, was fashion. Many years ago in uh, editorial, I was a fashion editor. And when I moved to Europe, I went into the business side of things, marketing, because I, I did go to school for that as well. And um, I got to do trend forecasting for luxury groups like LVMH. So that was very interesting because I learned how to do go branding and go-to-market strategies. And um, from that, I had an opportunity to start a company. We were the first um, consumer tech uh, company in, the, in Europe doing licensed products for Apple Accessories. So that was super fun. We did distribution world. We had distribution worldwide. We had brands like Pantone, Keith Haring. We were in Apple stores, uh, department stores like Selfridges in the UK, Barney's in the US when there were still a Barney's. I can I don't even know there isn't anymore one. <laughs> I don't think so. No. So that was great, but um, it was like doing a business MBA. However. I spent a lot of time going to China and I was seeing a lot of what we were doing to the environment with all that of the production of things that we don't really need and we toss out. And then um, I remember going to factories where I saw some of the women working there and I could smell the chemicals. And then I thought, I can't imagine what it's doing to their health, smelling this chemicals day in and day out. I thought about fertility cancers and all of this. So it really stayed in my mind. But um after almost a decade of that, my partner and I, we um, decided to part ways with our own ventures that we wanted to do. So when we sold the company, we th- I was looking for something to do next that had impact. Um, obviously that could have, it was a sustainable business. Um, I had a lot of tick boxes in terms of not making people consume stupid things, all these t- different things that I wanted for the next part of my career. And I volunteer my dog to retirement homes and hospitals, and discover what I call the world of aging. I hadn't been exposed to it because my grandparents actually passed away quite young on both sides. Weirdly enough, because um, my pa- and my parents were like tenth in the line of the kids or something like that. So um, I say discover the world of aging because you're not confronted with what it's like if you're not if you don't see it up front. So I encounter people that where their brain health was perfect, but because they had fallen, they were in these retirement homes, and they were depressed. They really did not like being there. So I thought, whoa, you know, we're talking about technology changing everything. We need to change this. So I looked in a market study on the H-Tech space, and I didn't think that was my jam, simply because I felt it was about keeping the status quo and just figuring out better systems. It wasn't about improving so much what I thought was people's quality of life. It's how do you actually make sure that they are having better life towards end of life? Um, I discovered longevity biotech and I never looked back. I thought it was so incredible, the idea of rejuvenation and um, prevention, preventative medicine. I thought this is like the most powerful tool for us to age healthier. And I know that my longevity maximalist friends, they think that that's not ambitious enough. But I think already if people knew that the potential of longevity is to be able to even arrive at 80 and still have brain function, do not have sarcopenia and loss of muscle mass, or being able to look, look relatively youthful, people would like completely sign up to longevity. In any case, from that work, I figure that one of the things that I could help with in the industry was a bit of the communication and branding. And timing worked out that it was Clubhouse. I managed, um, it was the beginning of the pandemic, managed to, um, because of that, have access to a lot of the researchers, startup founders, and scientists working in longevity. I was hosting a couple of things, a couple of, uh, um, of talks shows there. That that led to one thing to another. I had a newsletter where I gave our community where we were focused on not so much the longevity, of the science, by the way, I love your newsletter, which is more focused on the very hard science. Mine was more trying to work on the messaging. How do we get the general public interested in it? And from there, I met VitaDAO, the the crew from VitaDAO just before they launched. So I understood Web3 and crypto in the sense of Ethereum, Bitcoin, you buy a bit, you, you know, it's like a new asset class, but I was not sold on the whole idea, like I wasn't excited about NFTs or trading. Um, I went carefully and when I learned, when I started contributing to VitaDAo and realized what they had, what they were doing, I thought, okay, this is the best for Web3. Like it's a really good calling card to convince people that there's a lot of value being created here. Um, the fact that they were funding s- longevity science, which even though now I say it's big, it's still kind of the, um, not the ugly duckling, but it's still small compared to the rest of biotech, right? And from that work, I learned a lot about, a lot of, from reproductive longevity because I interviewed Dr. Jennifer Garrison, and I was shocked to learn so much about how menopause really affects women's longevity. I was more shocked to find out that women's health was not very well funded. And that was the inception to thinking we could do what's happening with Vita Dow or the same model for women's health. And we started with the notion of reproductive health, but we've it a bit more, and that's how Athena AthenaDAO came to be. And that was a very long story of how I arrived to Web3 and DAOs.
2: That's fascinating. That's definitely quite the journey. Um... I definitely want to go more into women's reproductive health, but before that, for folks who don't know, can you give us a brief primer on what is Athena Dow? What what are you doing with it? So Athena Dow is at the Central Life
0: Collective looking to, well, working on funding education and access to women's health. And what does that mean? It means that we bring together a group of motivated people in different sectors to work towards the cause our cause is funding, um, moving the needle in women's health. And why does, why do we need this cause? Because women's health is um, overlooked. I found that also very uh, strange, given that women are very powerful in the sense that they make so many industries with their choices. Women made 80% of the healthcare decisions at home. So, not only do we make the healthcare industry, we make the beauty industry, the luxury industry, we power all those industries with our capital. So I'm I'm still trying to figure out, I'm gonna get to the bottom of it, how it's been such an overlooked area. How um, I mean, I think in 2020, McKinsey came out with a paper where they said that only 1% of biomedical investment goes into female-specific conditions. Of 1% of the total budget. Women make half of the population. We are the decision makers at home for all these decisions. Something's not, I mean, the math is not that complicated there. But what we're looking to do is bring funders, advocates, women, patients, anybody interested in women's health, and the research together in one ecosystem. Um, it's completely different than Um, just a foundation, or just a fund, or just an advocacy group. It's almost like you merge all of it together in one. And that's the role that Athena Dao is playing. And we obviously do utilize Web3 and the tools that it provides to power this ecosystem.
2: That's fantastic. I completely agree with you. It's it's crazy that women's health in general, and I'm sure even women's reproductive health, to be more specific, is so overlooked. And I think scientists also talk about this, that women, as patients in general, have been overlooked and there's more of a push to do that. I'm guessing partially because there are probably way more male scientists uh, than women scientists. So I'm sure that might have something to do with it. Um, yeah, it's the systems that we've built. And I think one of the things that decentralized science
0: um, is trying to work on is changing some of the systems. So it it just only made sense that there was something that was created specifically to work on this area.
2: So shifting gears to women's reproductive health and diving a little deeper into that, you mentioned um, when you spoke to Dr. Jennifer Garrison or you just started looking into the space, it was shocking to you that there wasn't much research done in the space. Um, What specifically surprised you? Were there particular areas of research that um, that that you think were more overlooked, or that you think are exciting in general.
0: So, as I said, I'm not myself a scientist. I couldn't give you the exact areas of research that are overlooked to the T. But one thing that I did learn from my um, scientist colleagues, from Jennifer Garrison, from other researchers that I've met over the past year in this field is there's not enough basic science. We're not answering questions that just needs we need just answers for which create not more, that was the first roadblock. So if we don't start with that, then we're not actually solving bigger problems. So by the time uh, it gets to trying to create companies that are focused on women's health, investors are reluctant to put more money in there because there's, there's not the science behind to back the concept. Or they put the money in and then they're, lo- they're stuck at clinical trials. And the other aspect is that women's health is not what you would call uh, women's reproductive health is not as quote-unquote prestigious. A lot of bright researchers, when they're doing their P, um, going into their PhD, they're going to choose something that they know they can map out a career. So really bright minds are going to oncology or they're going to infectious diseases because they know there's a, opportunity for getting published. There's opportunity for getting funded. There's opportunity for startups. Um, so you're thinking of your career the next 20, 30 years, you're going to go over, so you're going to choose a path that you see success. Um, it takes very motivated researchers to, that, ha- that are working right now in women's health because they know it's a climb up. And it just starts with um, not answering basic questions in science. We don't know how to, for instance, diagnose properly in the endometriosis. KCOS, I mean, menopause. Women have had menopause from the beginning of time. And we still, the only solution we have is something that just treats symptoms or you know, H- H- um, HRT. And HRT is still contentious because of a study that was done 20 years ago that is proven that it was badly framed. And it changed how women were treated, at least in North America and everywhere around the world for the last 20 years. So when you think that we have a big thing in women's health that you hear, everybody makes the analogy to the fact that we already have drugs to um, treat impotence for men. I mean, it was by, by the f- fluke that it was found, but we solved that. And we haven't been able to find more solutions for um, menopause. The, o- the other issue is that women's bodies are not only up to women. It's something that society wants to regulate itself as well. Our reproductive system is still regulated by law. I mean, when you, I don't want you, let's not even get into that subject. But where there's fertility shaming for women that don't have children, there's right now the idea that, oh, it's crazy that we're delaying motherhood. There's um, abortion rights. There is menopause. Some people think that it's a biological process. We should just let it happen. We didn't say that for uh, heart transplants or incubators or cancers. We don't like. we don't say, Hey, it's a biological process. Let's just let it happen. We've done so much with science and you're telling me that we can do this for women and it's about choice in the every, in the end is our choices are limited by science, by law, by what society thinks we should or should not be doing so it all combined, it creates more barriers for everything that has to do with advancing
2: our causes. It's just how it is. Right, just a whole confluence of factors, it, w- which is definitely true. So so what are some interesting projects in the pipeline for Tina specifically? So um,
0: just to tell you where we are a bit, we started in officially August of 2022. We already have 20 contributors, and, but we're three core team members, two in the pipeline to become core team members as well, and another 15 contributors. And what we call contributors are people that are on a weekly basis or biweekly, monthly. They are working on a project, they're working on something to the DAO, they're representing the DAO at conferences. Um, and then we have 300 members. We've already done five conferences. And the most exciting part is that We had submissions already for the first round of projects. We focused on ovarian aging, and we already have 10 of them in senior review right now. We did things. That's amazing. Yeah, it's very exciting. I think the proof of concept of what we've done, that there's an extreme need for this, is that we had incredible submissions from incredible scientists and incredible institutions. To me, that's the proof is in the pie, in the fact that We're brand new. And because there's so much need for funding, uh, people did decide to entrust us with this. Um, We have different stages from some very early science to equity deals and uh, translational research. We're focused as a DAO right now, and we'll see on the translational side of things. And that is only because we're only going to market now. It's very important for us in how the the DAO functions that We have something that has a return for the DAO, so it becomes um, a regenerative system in which we can actually sustain ourselves without having to raise more funds, do more um, membership drives, or uh, rely on that. The ideal situation is obviously that on a yearly basis, something comes back to the DAO, and then we keep going that way. And that's how we want, it's a bit different than being maybe just a foundation or a fund. Because many times when we started, people was like, why don't you just do a foundation? Why don't you just do a fund? And the thing about the fund is that you're limited by where you put the capital with the DAO, We want to actually not just yet, yeah, there's amazing institutions like the Global Consortium for Reproductive Longevity led by uh, inequality, led led by Dr. Garrison, that they are able to grant money for very early stage science. For us we want to make sure that we play a balance between early stage and also translational so that the DAO can sustain itself. But um what's going to happen now is we are going to have our membership NFT drive coming up in April 2022 so that's a big thing for us. With it we're going to start the DAO governance process which is a huge aspect of com- the, how the community is run. So women are going to be able to vote now in um, of the 10 we are, we're assuming that five are going to pass the senior review fully. And of those five, when we have at the treasury, we're going to get, uh, the community is going to get to vote as to where we put our first two um, grants into. And that's a very exciting part where you really bring
2: together the whole aspect of science, community and funds. And you mentioned senior review, who is part of the senior review? Well, there are on their end. Uh, we're going to announce that uh, when we actually do the voting.
0: The only reason we're not, um, I'm not going to tell you here right now is because some of them are, they want to actually remain anonymous. And some of them are, we're like, we're still negotiating the announcement as to how, when they say they're senior reviewers, you know, when they some of them work at very prestigious institutions. So you have to sign a lot of things to make sure that everyone is uh, fine with everything. I can disclose that we have people that are experts in either biotech, venture funding, or from prestigious academic institutions. And it's a range from having people that can evaluate the science, can evaluate the translational potential into company formation, and then can evaluate is this something that, if it works out, could go down the pipeline into a pharmaceutical stage.
2: Okay, so step one is... um the review by scientists or say venture capitalists or other investors. And then if that passes that, that review test, then it goes on to the community who can vote for which projects they'd like to see funded.
0: Yeah. We're flipping this, we're flipping the process from uh, Vita Dao, who is the first bio-dao that does it. And the only reason we're flipping frib- the process is because we want this DAO to involve as many women as possible that are not necessarily researchers or scientists. We want to work with the best scientists. We want to support them, but we also want to get women involved. There is a huge, huge um, education process that has to happen in ma- and just making women understand that the reason IVF is still has a lot of, it still has low efficacy rates, has to do because of science. The reason they go to doctors and they tell them, oh, I mean, I just read this week somewhere this very famous Australian um, personality. She posted about her having an endometriosis where the doctor told her, you know, you're a woman, you just have to deal with it. That's completely, un- it should not be acceptable. But it's not the are condition, as women, That it's not that women are not ignorant. It's just they don't know that the way to change this is actually to do more research, and that's what we want to provide a vehicle for them to learn that that's a thing. We need to do more research, and the opportunity be to be active participatory is
2: on um, where science goes to really impact their health. So, for the ten projects that are in the pipeline, can you reveal a bit of the reveal a bit of um, the different areas of research they're focused on, like more specifics on these projects?
0: Yeah, all of them are in ovarian aging actually. So the reason we focus in this particular area was because um one of our core team members, Dr. Maria Marinova, she did her PhD in ovarian aging. And she said longevity. Um obviously she's interested in reproductive longevity. We wanted to make sure that we started with the things we did know and understand. My experience with longevity, um, I mean, as I said, I didn't know a lot of the researchers in the field. I kind of had a very good sense of where things were. So it's not that I'm evaluating the science. I want to make that very clear to everybody, but I do well, I mean, I have a good sense of where things are at and the potential of some of these um, projects. We have an amazing wearable um, I'm not gonna disclose on what it is, but the amazing thing about this, this particular project is that it came from a very prestigious university and something that is so very very advanced. And it wasn't necessarily a very aging, but that's literally a product. It's like it's a, almost a company. Um, I can tell you of our first IP NFT. I'm going to just read it because I haven't memorized the title, but the next six weeks I'm going to be Go saying it in bed. So it's <laughs> an efficient in vivo essay to screen for longevity drugs that delay ovarian aging using C-Elegance. And this is by one of our contributors in the DAO. Her name is Lu Dong. She's a PhD candidate uh, out of the National University of Singapore and working with Brian Kennedy's lab, which I'm sure you know. He's a very well-recognized name in longevity. So um, she's a contributor. She didn't know what Web3 was. She didn't know what DSi was. Um, it was a great story because her and I spoke at the same conference in Singapore. I mean, I was online here and she was there, but the better story is uh, Dr. Maria Marinova was, I was at the ARDD conference, which happens at Copenhagen, which a lot of people know it's a very well-known um, longevity conference and aging research. And I was watching Dr. Jennifer Garrison's talk and I saw Lou ask a question and I messaged Maria on Discord and I said, Maria, go check that girl. And she's like, I already am friends with her. And then we saw each other the next month and, you know, we get on a call and I say you should join the DAO, which she did. She still doesn't even understand what an IP NFT is fully, but it's not about the actual technical thing, which... I know in the DSI podcast, a lot of people are going to talk about the technical aspect of things from reputation graphs, data, um, I mean, much more the tools. For us, the idea is it's not the tools so much as the mission. And the important part here is that someone like Lou is going to be able, hopefully in two months, be able to start the research that she's going to work on because of this ecosystem that power that. and. The idea is that it's our membership drive that actually finances that NFT, um, that IP NFT. So we bring it for sale Cool. It's not just um, that it's women that put in the crowdsourcing, crowdfunding to make this science happen. And hopefully we're one step closer to being able to delay over an aging, reverse it, put a stop on it. I mean, we're not a step closer. Though. <laughs> Scientists will be mad at this, I, they heard me that because we're so far from it, but every little research, every piece of that of data
2: will make the difference in the long run. Oh, I completely agree, and maybe this is a stupid question, and I guess as a woman I should know this, but this means that if, if you can, say, delay in aging, um, you would probably be fertile for much longer, right? We could decouple the whole idea of fertility
0: um, I think that one of the big things that people say about stopping menopause or delaying it is the idea is like, do you want to have children at 70? We have to decouple some of the mechanisms, I mean, the mechanisms of how the ovary, ovarian aging happens. We still have to figure out so many things that is not necessarily about the fertility, but of the health of the ovary. And this is the most important part. It's almost like a pa- it's a factory of hormones that keep us healthy? And how do you keep that factory going without losing all the things that you lose when that factory shuts down? And I think this is how we have to think of it separately because a lot of the pushback and changing um, menopause, for instance, is that we are medicalizing it, that it's about pharma companies making money. First of all, pharma companies are not even putting money into this. (laughs) So we need to break that to like that barrier first. And I don't think they're, you know, it's not necessarily because they're bad. It's just because pharmaceutical companies are huge businesses that have to put their bets on science and we're not investing in the science. So this is the thing. I'm not blaming VCs. I'm not blaming uh, pharmaceutical companies. It's, I'm not even blaming anyone. It's just where we are. And without having very basic science, we're not able to continue the process so Menopause, first taboo, first thing we need to say is, no, it's not the fact that um, pharmaceutical companies want to create a drug so that they become more rich because that's not where we are with the funding for this. Secondly, we need to decouple the ideal fertility and um, ovarian aging in making it seem that the mission is so that you can have children at 50 because I don't think anybody wants to have children at 50 if they're not have the energy Or the health that you would have when women should have children. Um, It's two different things. I think the main thing is women have to make very big decisions very early age, at a very early stage of their lives. And this does create a huge economic um, economic inequality and disparity because if a woman chooses to push her career, she's going to go through the process of maybe not being able to have children later. And if she chooses to put her family first and have children, there might be the likelihood that she's not going to achieve as much um, economically in the future. And no one can tell me that oh, her husband's going to take care of it. The reality is that women still married do retire with less men than uh, less money than men, and because they live longer, there's a higher incidence of women living in poverty towards end of life. So. I don't. I, you can't blame women for wanting to be uh, financially secure and focusing on that. It's just um, how we are now. So, can we create? Can we have opportunities with science to delay that process, to make it more efficient, to be able to create more options? And if you want to have a traditional life and have your children at twenty-five, marry—that's amazing. It should be just about choice. We should give the choice for women that. Want to push a career that most women are very wealthy by the time they're in their late forties, fifties. Imagine how I mean. I think last um, last year, and I'm going to take it to pop culture. Last year, at the end of the year, uh, Jennifer Aniston wrote an article for Lure magazine, which is a fashion magazine. Um, could you believe that I'm talking about a fashion magazine in the Side podcast? Probably the only opportunity <laughs> bring everything in, <laughs> but uh. I want to bring it to the attention of everybody because she obviously is an incredibly wealthy woman and she could have had access to everything that science had to offer. If she very candidly wrote about how for her she considered a failure that journey and she did not get to have chill her own biological children, it's because that's the reality that women face. No, much, no matter how much money you have and how much success, These are some of the things that we haven't been able to work enough on, and it's simply because we don't have enough science. And I can guarantee you that if we figure it out, if what people care is about business, there's a huge, I mean, there's a huge opportunity here with 50% of the population who, as I said earlier in the chat, women are very powerful when it comes to making decisions at home. So if you actually gave them things that they wanted and needed, because they could fulfill a lot of their personal dreams or f- their health wishes, imagine how huge that industry would be.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a trade off for women, which is which is sad, because as you said, science hasn't caught up. But I like the distinction you made there between just fertility and over and aging, um, because I, I think the first thing that comes to anyone's mind when you think of over and aging my mind was fertility. But I think what you're trying to say is that, like, yes, fertility is obviously one aspect of it, and it's a huge aspect given the trade-offs women face. But then just beyond that, the aging of the ovaries, even after you continue, even after you stop being fertile, is important. Like, can we slow that, delay that, because it's a huge driver of aging in general for women? I guess, is that the right way to think about it? We'll think about it. So biologically, we are living
0: longer because we had vaccines, we had antibiotics, and we had clean water. So those are all things that happened because of science. Um, I mean, our lifestyle changed in that post-industrial revolution. There was a change into white-collar jobs, a lot of things. But women's biology has stayed the same as in cave times. Um Before, when women had menopause, let's say if at the turn of the century you were dying at 50, you were dying a couple, you know, maybe during menopause, a couple of years after menopause. I'm not sure. I have to say that I've not I haven't read the literature if menopause has also changed when women are having it because I know that um, young girls getting their periods has has changed over the last decade. It's um, actually started at a much younger pace. So, I have to actually read up on that. But if, I, on the assumption that menopause still happens in the late 40s, 50s, that meant that women did not have another third of their life post menopause. That's a lot of life. Post that factory of hormones that have powered you into that work with your a lot of other mechanisms in your body. So, it's a matter of longevity very it's a matter of like women's longevity that it's huge
2: yeah so on the athena DAO aspect um a scientist coming to athena dao which is the traditional mm-hmm. science funding um how do they decide and why would they decide to come to athena versus going some other route um they're going to every route this is the thing
0: is that we're not like their only thing Um, Every scientist I've met, they're so busy writing grants, they're so busy chasing capital. It's not because we're the only option, we're really only a small part. Um, There's just such a need for funding that of course they're coming to us too, and our check size are not going to be that big at the uh, the beginning. I mean, some of the funding goes up to a quarter of a million dollars, science is very expensive. Some things can go, you know, um, I, there are, um, senior researchers that their budgets are like $1 million or more a year. Right. But they have to write huge grant proposals. Obviously they have labs. What we can provide right now and hopefully in the future it'll grow into more. It's a very tiny piece of the equation and they're not coming to us as a preference over something else. They're coming to us because they need to chase capital. And we're just, we could just play it and complement that equation for them. So we're just another option for them in reality. Um It's not a competitive market or like, oh, everybody's just throwing money at me.
2: <laughs> if I choose
0: Athena Dow, it's because I really like them. No, it's uh right now as it stands, researchers and scientists have to chase money. And I don't think it's only... In um reproductive health or women's health, that's just the reality of academia. it's one of the things that decentralized science is trying to work on, but it's going to take years obviously um, you can compare the NIH budget over like you know in billions to what this ecosystem can provide but everything has to start somewhere, right so we already, for instance, got some researchers into a D-site conference in London. So that's like a small step. Even if you give them $500 to attend an academic conference, that's already a big thing. In terms of uh, expanding the network of that researcher or new opportunities, um, hopefully this year and we'll be able to sponsor a couple of academic conferences which will be a big thing for us because also getting researchers into these um, conferences so that they can present their work, so that they can meet other researchers. But um, we're just providing, we want, obviously we want to work with everyone in that's already done so much work ahead of us. Um, it's still such a nascent, I wouldn't say industry, and it's not nascent in the sense that We're just getting started. There's so many people that have done so much already. It's just, it's not like oncology. You know, that's what I say to me. It's not like oncology. It's not massive conferences with big speakers and bringing ex-presidents to talk about the fight on cancer. It's still, um, I think, at the beginning in many ways, and so many great people have paved the way. It's just now about providing just one more mechanism that keeps that, the ball
2: rolling. Right. I'm reading uh, Siddhartha Mukherjee's book on cancer right now. And it's it's crazy, honestly, to learn about cancer's history because there's so much fun funding that's gone into it. And at this point, it's been going on for like a few hundred years, probably. The war on cancer started with Nixon. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's when it's it skyrocketed and came into the public limelight. Like, yes, yeah, so, and to think about it, that's a pretty good comparison that you made because I don't think anyone thinks about like women' reproductive health like nearly in the same light as cancer.
0: No, well, women—the nobody thinks of women's health nearly in the same light, but nobody thinks of anything else other than cancer. I'm fascinated by cancer in the sense that. We know how dramatic if it's, if somebody in your family has it, if a, fa- a friend, um, you, you, hear, you hear the word cancer and it like really provokes a visceral emotion. And yet cancers now are pretty ch- well treated. I mean, I, I really know an amazing onco- uh, oncologist in Singapore, Dr. Steven Tucker. I'm having some amazing conversations with him and he's been inc- incredible. Like I've learned so much from him in terms of oncology. But when you look at the numbers, what we're spending on cancer, R&D, and research versus um, what people's perception of how deadly or dangerous it is, is just um, not balanced. And it's not that I want to take away from cancer. This is not about taking away from an industry. It's just a fascinating um, thing to see how we value things, and what we consider important versus what we don't. So, I think that obviously we do need to continue the fight on cancer. We do need to continue the fight in infectious diseases, but let's also get the fight on women's health going because women are the source of life. And yes, you do need a man and a woman. But right now, it is amazing that women carry life and you want to keep them healthy. And a lot of women are not healthy right now. And a lot of the things that they go through, they're, and they suffered alone and we're not providing, you know, telling a woman this is just how it is for women. It's not right in 2023.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally agree. So just engage just a little bit. I believe you've joined um, an accelerator called bio.xyz for building Athena Dao. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about the accelerator and why you decided to even join it? bio XYZ was
0: all about timing um it was we were just very fortunate that when athena Dow was started it was getting going we they were having that project uh, being launched and you sometimes want to think that you're so great and things happen because of how amazing you are but most of the times and timing plays a big role and i think in this situation we were very very lucky I had had a conversation with Paul Tyler on email about doing something in reproductive longevity, like a DAO specifically to that, or reproductive health. So it was kind of a continuing, you know, we're saying, I already mentioned this a while, to you a while back. Um, we had the support from Beata Borowska, who is the chief of staff at uh, Molecule. She's incredible. She's a very good ally um, in Web3. Wanting to push women into the ecosystem, and it was just um, forces align. Ines Santos da Silva, who's with um, who's in the core team, I met her at DCI Berlin, and we had what coffee there with other women in Web three. So that started our relationship going, and when we say let's just do this, it was kind of like yes, let's do it. And it was the time that BioXYC was getting going, so. It was a very big opportunity as far as we're concerned. Um, I, you know, Molecule has done a lot to build the ecosystem. I think it's amazing that they did do this to actually push more DAOs working on different causes forward because it's difficult to build and having support is crucial. And that's what most of the experience with BioXYC is from having that back-end support and saying okay we'll like help you with a podcast the website all these different things that you do need and you take for granted because everything takes time and if you can have people supporting you in different areas the and D, all these other things you can go much faster so we for instance were really able to focus on the science in the last six months uh, we could work on getting the researchers doing the pitching And because you have to pitch in the end, you have to sell them and tell them, start come working with us. We published a reproductive health report, 22 pages on where the state of reproductive biology is today. And it was, I mean, it was 22 pages, but couldn't really cover the whole gamut. And for instance, Maria wrote a 37 page report from all the conferences. We had to dilute it to six pages. So imagine how many things we didn't cover because we had to put so much science in six pages. But we were able to focus on these things from having that support. And I always say that there's a lot of incubators and accelerators that are very kindly giving you mentorship. But one of the biggest things that matters in the end is also having uh, capital support. And that's like a huge part because then you don't have to worry about that part. And it just gives you the opportunity to focus on areas that you can get yourself to the next stage. And here we are. We're at the stage where we're going to go get more capital so we fund some women's
2: health science. I love it. So uh, on the topic of selling, marketing, branding, I have to ask because that's your background in it. Um, are there any unique strategies that you're using to raise awareness about Athena DAO, or just bring more people to help you? yeah well, I mean, a lot of it is obviously trying to
0: support and play a part in the ecosystem in whatever small we, part we can. Um, we've, as I said, we've already done a couple of conferences, one of them academic. The other one, side London was amazing. We got very involved with that. We did um help a bit with the um, fellowships for researchers to travel to it. Um, the team of and there was amazing, and we're looking forward to doing DSi Berlin, dsi Boston. The other part is we're very focused on the science. So as I mentioned to you, we want to meet all the academics. We want to go to the conferences. We want to work with them because for us, the first part is the science. Our next stage after that will be women in general, women in crypto, all the women out there that are, you know, are looking there for better health solutions. The femtech industry is just another industry that we're also starting to reach out to. I don't know if you noticed, but our website has a bit, it doesn't look like a research or science or biotech website. And one of the mandates there was that it felt a bit more consumer. And why consumer? Because we want to make it more user-friendly for women that don't know anything about science. And not because, I mean, there are women that are very educated and are doing a lot of other interesting things. This was just not a saying that they put bad attention in, but we want to feel like something that any woman can access, and it doesn't have to be threatening or boring or weird. So a lot of our communication is focused on translating the science and being very hard science in the back, but very singling in the front. So what do you call it? In the eighties, they say the mullet. <laughs> no, it was party in the back, <laughs> business in the front. We reverted that. It's like part in the front, business in the back. <laughs> Uh, That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just flipping the system. And we still have to do more because there are some great communicators out there that really synthesize. I don't know if you know the glucose goddess. She's amazing. She came from doing um, product at 23andMe. And she has this book. All she does is about um, basically glucose health. She's such an amazing communicator in terms of just making people understand in very easy ways how to change their eating habits. And we have to eventually get to, it's not necessarily going to be me. We're, you know, it's going to take a process to find that person that can communicate those concepts or that team that is just willing to do it. Uh, we're working with different people right now, be, uh, amazing OBGYN who's in Web3, Melissa, Spotty Wife is her name on Twitter. Um, we have other people that are working in Web3, but are interested in science. And the scientists, it's a bit very much the science, but finding that team of women that have their own competencies and have their own stories to tell, because the idea of a DAO is that it's not necessarily just the core team. Um, we want to empower every woman that joins to feel that they are their own best advocate. So we really promote the idea of, please go speak at conferences, be a voice out there, get yourself out there. You too are an advocate, you too are an expert at what you do and go represent yourself and the DAO and let's get more women in here. So that's one of our big things is really putting them, giving power to the women and saying, this is yours as well. And more voices need to be speaking out. And if you're an expert in your field, Don't be shy. Go put yourself out there on the stage and say, hey, let's get more things in here or more people in here or let's join our mission because this is my experience and this is why it matters to me and this is what we're doing.
2: You should join the DAO. Right, right. (laughs) I'm inspired and say someone uh, else like me is inspired listening to this and wants to join and support the community. Uh, More tactically, how would they go about contributing to Athena DAO?
0: So the way we're doing right now, because um, we're looking eventually in the next six months for people to join the DAO in a more full-time capacity, Uh, DAOs do need to be powered by a group of people that eventually does work full-time on this. As much as we like to love decentralization and this is just a little project, it's not. It's a full-time thing for if you want to power it, you do need a core team that is like moving the cog. Then... The other, the amazing part about DAOs is that then you have the women that have their own careers, have their own blogs, have their own um, podcasts. Maybe they only go to a conference and say, hey, I'm part of Athena DAO. They do a, you know, a blog or they present somewhere. And those contributors are super important. So those contributors can already join right now. They, I mean, anybody can join, but we have a form that you can see on the show notes. You apply as a community member. You decide if you want to go into the deal flow group, which looks at the science and R&D, or the community um, comes and awareness because that's your specialty, or you say, you know what, I just want to hang out here and find out what's the latest. I don't need to contribute in any way. I want to maybe my membership, but I'm busy. Um, so it's your choice what you do. And once you're there um, right now, the mandate is we meet all first 100 contributors. So between Ines, myself, and Maria, we do the like onboarding calls so that we get to meet everyone and know what their story is, and then figure out, oh well, we have this project or that. And then I have a really great story because we had a contributor that joined uh, two weeks ago, and just as soon as she joined, she ended up representing us at East Denver. Like she made a pre- she gave a presentation for the DAO. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, it was inc- because she is an expert at what she does. Her story was amazing. And I said, go tell your story. I mean, I can tell you the basics of where we are, but if you make this about your story, I think it's the most important part. And I get messages from people saying she was incredible. So um, Amy, represent- Amy San, she represented us at East Denver, and it was just a matter of taking that moment to, um, you know, being remote, It's a great thing. It's also a weird thing because you do need to take the time to meet people, uh, have that conversation. Text messages or writing doesn't really capture things. And once you hear a person's story, you always think, oh, they'll be great for this or that. And that's the approach we're taking right now, trying to really make it um, about everybody feeling that there's voices and people behind or around. We have community meetings every three weeks so that people can drop in with, you know, faces. We talk about everything that we've accomplished and then any ideas. We really want to right now push women being their best representatives. Like Amy was able to do this. Um, We have a couple of people, Melissa who's gonna do Miami NFT. She's gonna be at South by Southwest. Um, there's a couple of researchers that are going to do something in Germany later in the year. We have an event at DCI London with somebody else who's there. So if you want to do something in Miami,
2: just work love the forum. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Okay. I love it. No, I love how, you know, that they're, they're like all these people contributing. And like you said, everyone has the autonomy to just represent Athena Dao and spread the message. Um, Okay, so my final question to you is, if Latina Dow is uh, successful, what mission would you be solving for? So for me, the success already um, has
0: happened when there were researchers that said we were like the motivation to actually get into this, try to look more into this field. That was like a big moment for us when somebody, I'm not going to like name drop. But when he messaged and he says, you know, you was like one of the motive, like what you guys are doing was one of my motivations to actually start looking at this more closely. And it's a very well-known researcher. So that already is success when you know that somebody is motivated to do this. For instance, success is having somebody like Lu Dong discover what Web3 is. Because regardless of what happens to the DAO, I do hope that in 10 years her career has gone so far. Um, success would be then maybe one of the women that we work with. W- wins a Nobel Prize for discovering, and not necessarily related to the DAO, but that you know you played a role in that from whatever little thing you did. If we're looking at commercial success, it would be that we are able to have the DAO grow so much more into eventually company creation with some of the research that went through the DAO from a platform that is it's outside the DAO and it's really funny because one of the things that we do on our pitch, and I'm gonna put it out there, is that we because it's of the moment, everybody's talking about open AI, right? Chat I mean, they came out with the it's like the thing. And just recently, in an article about retrobio, the funny thing is that Sam Alman says it's the open AI, but for longevity. And I thought this is funny because I've been calling Athena DAO the open AI, but for women's health. And I call it that because we're almost like a huge laboratory of R&D. It's not only the NFT, uh, IP NFTs, it's not only the research, it's what's going to happen within the DAO between women's health data, whatever the ideas that are generated that I'm not sure what's going to be the ultimate thing, but something is going to come out of it. And the success is going to be in that, in whatever that intellectual capital, that um, collaboration and having all the all the researchers, the funders, the women. I don't know what the equivalent of a chat GPT is for women's health, <laughs> but that would be the success that our big experiment puts out something as amazing as that.
2: That's fantastic. I'm rooting for that success for sure. All right, Laura, is there anything else we haven't covered that you want to talk about or just a final shout out for Dina Do? Well, Well, um, to have everybody, this is not just
0: for women. We love men. Uh, this is not just for researchers. This is um, something for everybody in terms of um, it's a uh, it's just really about a mission and a cause. And it's also a very interesting cause and a very interesting mission with a lot of opportunity. So I think the biggest the biggest thing is join Athena Dow because we're working on very exciting science and a very exciting problem with a lot of opportunity. And you don't have to be a woman. You don't even have to be that much into women's health. If there's a competency like um, bioinformatics, machine learning, anything that you could be, think could be applied to science. I mean, this is a great new ecosystem to be working in, and we are very welcoming. So, And the other thing is that we'll root for you to be your own personal advocate and speaker. We want a lot of uh, faces of Athena Dow. It's not about uh, the cult of personality. It's really about pushing as many people forward so
2: that uh, women's health becomes right, much, much bigger. Thank you, Laura. It was such a pleasure talking to you today and um, wish you all the best with Hithinado. Thank you very much. And remember to fill out our form.